Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for that wonderful song that reminds us so wonderfully, so beautifully of just the many and different ways that you bless us in Jesus Christ. And Father, for the opportunity to come here today to gather with your people and to worship, for the privilege of being able to live our lives to show something of your glory, and for the wonder of knowing your presence day by day, we now give you our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Gracias ask you just to turn in your Bibles, we're going to continue, we just started last week in First Peter, we're going to continue in that. Just as you're getting there, I just wanted to have the pleasure of making this announcement. So Paul's next holiday is going to include his two great interests, that's free fall parachuting <laughs> and photography. And those photographs you saw earlier, he's going to land in that little bit between the mountains and photograph it all the way. And we're taking, um, you know, different gifts to enable this to happen. I just want to thank Ava for giving me the first contribution. <laughs> so thank you. Uh, what a man. Fantastic. So 1 Peter chapter 1 from verse 3. We read, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power, until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Thank God again for his word given to us today. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word that speaks into the most difficult and challenging experiences of our lives. Those times in our life when we so desperately need you and, and just want to send your living presence with us. Father, we pray that you'll open your word and help us to understand how we might better know that kind of experience of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I'm sure that, that all of us here have our own ideas about what the, the great experiences in life are. And I'm sure that if I, I call for suggestions about that this morning, that as as varied as our personalities are, so these would be many and varied. However, one of my great pleasures, and I'm sure there's one that I share with many of you, if not all of you, is that feeling just of holding a little child's hands. I suppose it's that, that sense of being trusted, of knowing that you have to care, knowing that you're <coughs> responsible, that means such a lot to so many. And this is something that I know is true, not just for parents or grandparents 
But for any adult or any time, have a child in their care. But you know, from a child's perspective, at least if my experience is any kind of indicator, from what I know and my experience, I think that what they like more than anything else is to have both of their hands, especially when they're small, to be firmly held by people that they love. It must be that sense of being loved and surrounded by love, of, of being together, that means so much to them. With it hardly needing to be said, of course, that in my experience, at the time and the place where they seem to need or want this most is either walking down a, a narrow lane or in a busy shopping centre, which is guaranteed to turn you into a contortionist or something of a, a tap dancer as you try to weave your way out of the crowd. But I mention this because I think, in a sense, this describes really almost in a, in a picture form what we actually find here in this passage in 1 Peter. For you see, in the central verses of this passage, we find the Christian rejoicing in suffering. Well, the verses around on either side seem to me to be almost the hands of God that hold that Christian up and that so enables us to rejoice. Let me just read these central verses to you again, verse 6 to 8. We read, In this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while now you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. So what do these central verses tell us? What's at the centre? Well, they're talking about joy in suffering. They're talking about how we can know joy in suffering. And leave it out for now how this connects with the other verses around it, with, with these hands of God that have so much to do with this experience of joy that we'll look at later. Leaving that out for now, what we looked at last week in the introduction to this letter is also, I think, so relevant here. Do you remember? Remember that? Maybe you do. But that is that here, Peter was writing to a group of Christians that already undergone a degree of persecution, but who were soon going to go through a much more severe experience of persecution. And so here Peter writes to them, knowing that if they were to survive and even more to flourish in the midst of all this, then they had to have a spiritual perspective on life. That is that instead of judging things, valuing things from a worldly point of view, you know the kind of thing, does this make me happy and cosy and comfortable? Instead, he was telling them that they were to judge things from the perspective of, does this make me holy? Can this make me more like Jesus? Does this prepare me better for that life to come? That life with God in heaven. Now this is relevant because we're told here that these Christians are able to hold on to their joy in spite of their suffering only when they realise the purpose of their suffering. And that is to purify our faith. To form more and more in us 
that Christ-like image. That is God's great passion. That is God's burning desire for each of our lives. So sometimes then, God has to allow us to go through trials, to go through suffering, because there's sin in our life that we have to be turned from. We need to be disciplined because we've turned from God's will. As Psalm 119.67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I obey your word. And Jonah probably being the great biblical example of this. At other times, though, it's not because there's anything wrong in our lives that we suffer. No, it's not that. It's because there are things that God has for us that we have to be prepared for. He has to challenge us. He has to test us that we might be spiritually prepared and matured for whatever ministry and act of service he has in the future. Or it's because we've got a part to play that cannot now perhaps be fully understood by us because we've got a part to play in God's bigger plan for the world. You see, in some way, he wants to reflect Christ's glory through us. And he needs to do something in our lives to enable this to happen. And we perhaps see something of this in, in Paul's famous thorn in the flesh in Second Corinthians chapter 12. That is suffering of some kind that was afflicted Paul, that tested his character, but that made him more into a man who could minister effectively to the world around him. But here in First Peter, the imagery that, that Peter uses to try and, and get across something of this purpose of God in our suffering is that of the goldsmith at work refining this most precious of metals. Now that's part and parcel of what's obviously said here, what we can read straight away, but you know, even the very language that's used is, is the language of the first, the first century goldsmith's workshop. That phrase proved genuine in verse 7 was at that time a technical term used there mainly in regard to refining metal. And I read somewhere once that, that what they used to do when, when refining gold was that they used to keep it in the furnace, in the flame, until it got to the point where the goldsmith could see his face in it. They see that in a sense, that's a picture. It's a beautiful picture of God's purpose in our trials. He keeps us in the furnace until all the impurities of our faith are burnt off. All the self-centeredness, all the worldliness, all the wrong values and attitudes, all the sin, he keeps us there in the furnace until our faith has grown, until to a degree at least it's become more pure, until we're looking at life, valuing life, seeing life from that spiritual perspective, seeking first the kingdom of God, valuing Christ's glory more than personal happiness or comfort. He keeps us there in the furnace until in greater degree that beautiful likeness of Jesus is more clearly seen in us. And what we then are told here is that, that this purified faith 
that leads to this likeness of Jesus, that this is what God values more than anything else in all of creation. Wayne Grudem says, he says, genuine faith is more valuable to God than gold is to us because he is a God who delights in being trusted. And do you see what it says in verse 7 of our, our trials and suffering and grief and of the, the faith and spiritual maturity that these can produce? Do you see what it says? It says, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, that tells us, I think, two very important things here. That the result of this faith, of this maturity, that emerges from the furnace, will be that at the last day, we will receive that which is most precious of all in all of eternity. That we will be given praise, glory, and honor from our God. Just think of that. We will be praised. We will be given glory and honor by the God who created the universe and sent his son to die from us. The other thing that emerges from this is that as this happens, at the last day, so it will only then be at the last day that we will then finally be able to understand why some of the things that happened to us in our life had to happen in the way that they did. You see, while some things in life we are able to understand, and while other things we are able to piece together as life goes by, you know, the famous, we can look back and we can see what the Lord was doing. We can see why it had to be that way. But there are other things, though. There are things that we will not understand. Either this week this year or in this lifetime, but only in eternity. Let me just finish this, this bit here with a, a quote from Warren Wearsby. He says that Satan wants to use life's trials to bring out the worst in us, but God wants to bring out the best in us. But if we love ourselves more than we love Christ, then the fire will burn us, not purify us. I think a salutary warning. But let's get back to that picture I shared with you at the, at the beginning. So here in these central verses is the Christian rejoicing in suffering. And picture yourself as that child, the child of God. And you're seeking to, to live your Christian life, looking at life from this spiritual perspective. You're seeking to walk by faith, to live, responding to life and all its trials and troubles in such a way that that likeness of Jesus might be fashioned and formed and reflected out from your life. But you see, we're human. We're human. And what we're talking of here is often far from easy. Far from easy. In fact, there are times when it seems downright impossible. However, it becomes so much more possible. In fact, it becomes possible when we are held 
and when we realize that we are held by those hands of God the Father that stretch out to us in these other verses surrounding the verses we've just looked at. When we are held and when we realize and recognize that we are held, first of all, by our future hope, verse 3 to 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, there are three things that I want to point out to you here about this future hope. First, there is a contrast. There is an implied contrast between the New Testament Christian and the Old Testament believer. For you see, in the Old Testament, the same word inheritance that's used here was used to speak of the promised land of Canaan as Israel's inheritance, for example, in Numbers 32, 19. But, but just think of the difference, think of the contrast that there is between the material reward, between the inheritance of the Old Testament believer and the spiritual reward, the spiritual inheritance of the New Testament believer. For you see, Wonderful as that land was, that promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Yet that earthly land was not kept by Israel. It was taken from them, first by exile and then by Roman occupation. And even when they did possess the land, it produced riches that decayed. It produced rewards whose glory faded away. And plus the beauty of that land and its holiness before God was repeatedly defiled by sin. Now contrast that with the spiritual inheritance that is ours in Christ. Our salvation and all that flows from it, our heavenly inheritance that will not perish because it is eternal, the life of God, the life of heaven given to us by our God in Jesus Christ, our heavenly inheritance that is not spoiled and never can be spoiled by sin because it was won for us by the pure, spotless, holy sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Our heavenly inheritance that will never fade, that unlike earthly wealth, will never wither, never grow dim or lose its beauty and its glory. Now you see, for the Christian, the thought, the prospect, of this heavenly reward is the most wonderful encouragement. I mean, most of the time living for the Lord in, in this world is a tremendous and an enjoyable privilege. But you know, there are times when for all of us, when the going gets tough, there are times when we're maybe ill or those close to us are ill, when we're maybe lonely or bereaved or whatever. There are times when we feel a sense of of desolation and lostness in this world, times when if we were without Christ, we would feel without hope, times when if we were immature Christians, we would maybe feel bitter towards God because of what we're going through. But 
when we are mature Christians in the faith. When then, even in our suffering, we can rejoice in faith and in what we have in Christ and hold on to God. Because we know that we are held by him and that he has that inheritance for us in heaven that will never spoil our faith. I mean, God never promised that it would be easy for us living in this world. He never said that it would be easy to be a Christian in a sinful, antagonistic world. He didn't promise it. It wasn't easy for him. Indeed, he tells us in this very book that, that we're strangers in First Peter, that we're strangers in this world. But you see, what God does promise is to stand with us in this world, to enable us and to empower us as we live in this world. But he also promises that there is a greater, a far better world to come. The second point that's made here about this future hope is that it's a growing hope. It's a growing hope. That's part and parcel of what it means when it says in verse 3 that it's a living hope. The idea is that that this hope grows, it matures, it's supposed to grow in strength, the hope within us year by year. And of course, this is something you find in many older Christians, but not all, because age and spiritual maturity don't necessarily go hand in hand. There are Christians who live as Christians a long time, but never get beyond the spiritual ABCs. But there are many older Christians who do seem to have a a growing and a developed sense of that hope that is theirs in Christ, of the life that's to come, of their inheritance in heaven. In fact, it's, in my experience, it's not uncommon. I've found it a number of times to, to find people who will say to you, and not just when they're seriously ill, not just at the very end of their life, but who will say to you, older people, you know, I've had enough of this world. I've enjoyed my life, but I'm ready now to go home and to be with the Lord. You see, these are people who've been around and, and they know all about the things in this life. They've tasted the things in life that many are chasing after. And these know that they know that these things, although they bring a sense of happiness, but it's only a passing happiness and satisfaction. That the real satisfaction is found only in the Lord and is found perfectly in heaven when we go to be with them. I can remember a, a number of examples of this, but one that stands out for me is, is Babsy Smith. That's Laura Pillins' mum, who was a member of Lerwick Baptist Church during my, my time there. And Babsy had an amazing attitude and outlook on, on life. And she, was, she could be different at the time. She had a different perspective. She was a real character. But when I first met her, she was in her 80s. And she had a son, a disabled son in his 50s, Magnus. Lorna's brother, and Magnus had some kind of bone skeletal problem that meant he was almost perpetually bent over, stooped, really badly stooped. But he's a lovely guy. But during my time there, Magnus died, and Babsy was devastated. And they were both just lovely people. They were totally devoted to one another. And soon after he died, Babsy had a stroke, and she was put into a nursing home in, in Sumbrough. No, it wasn't there, but anyway, it doesn't matter. But her speech was badly affected at that point. It was really hard to sometimes pick up, understand what she was saying. But she still had just this, this lovely personality. 
and a beautiful smile, wonderful smile. But she kept on having little mini strokes and getting taken to hospital. And one of the staff there told me that the only time Babsy was ever in a bad mood, and by the way, she was a strong woman, so he didn't want it on the wrong side of her, but the only time that she was ever in a bad mood was when she got back from hospital because she longed to, be, to go to heaven to be with the Lord and be reunited with Magnus. And every time she woke up and she wasn't dead, she was devastated. <laughs> it's absolutely true, absolutely true. And one day I, I, I visited her, I went in to see her, after another one of our church members in the same home had died. Now, most of the time, you could hardly pick up what Babsy was saying. But, you know, the first thing that she said to me as I walked into the room she was in, as clear as a bell, as soon as I sat beside her, the first thing she said to me was this. She's beat me to it. <laughs> it was amazing. Now, that's what I call a mature Christian living with a heavenly perspective on life, living their life in the light of that future hope. The final thing I want to mention here about this future hope is that it's guarded, it's secure, it's kept. And that's made clear in the last part of verse 4 and in verse 5, that this future hope, that our inheritance, is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, the idea is that this, this future hope, our inheritance, is kept in the sense of this being something that happened in the past, but whose benefits go on and on forevermore. And that, that is what that's saying is that our faith in Christ and our hope and inheritance in him, that is ours forevermore, and that nothing can ever take that away. But, and listen to this, our present experience of this depends on our faith and our trust. God guards, God shields our joy, he shields our inheritance, but we only know the joy of that in response to our faith. The inheritance is there. The hope of heaven is there. The joy is there. But we will only live in that and know that as our experience now as we believe and trust and put our faith in it. You see, God wants that inheritance. God wants the hope that he gives to be his hand that holds us up in our suffering. He wants that to be the light that shines into our darkness. But it will only be that as we have faith in that. And you know, here is the crux of the problem for a number of Christians today, I believe. And that is that this is not understood this is not valued or believed in the way that it should be. Now, in this area, many Christians lack that, that true, spiritual, heavenly, biblical perspective. And do you know why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because too many Christians today, it seems to me, are new covenant believers living by old covenant values and promises. Let me explain what I mean here. We've already touched on this. But in the old covenant, there was an emphasis on this world. There was an emphasis on the material, 
Yes, faith and, and health and wealth and prosperity in the old covenant go together. In the new covenant, though, this changes. God still promises to meet our needs. Example, Philippians 4, what, 19, sorry. My God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Jesus Christ. However, things are said of the faithful in the New Testament that would never be said in the Old. For example, regarding physical health in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. And regarding suffering because of persecution, 1 Peter 4, 14, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And we could go on and on here. But the question is, why is there this difference? Well, it's all down to the fact of the coming of the Messiah and the giving of the Spirit. For you see, prior to Christ's coming in the Old Covenant, God encouraged his people to look forward to the Messiah's coming with faith. And he encouraged this and he blessed this with physical, material blessing. But you see, once the Messiah has come though, and once the Spirit has come, well, we then move into the new age, into the new covenant of the Spirit, where what's more precious than anything else now is our spiritual relationship with God, our spiritual fellowship with him through Jesus Christ. And where God does still promise to meet our physical needs, yes, he does that, but where what he promises now in abundance is a spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ, spiritual riches in abundance in Christ that are just the down payment of the inheritance that's ours in him. Now you see, it's this kind of understanding and perspective on the Christian life that enables us in our suffering, even in the midst of it, to rejoice and to hold on to God. Because we have life in the Spirit, in him now. And because we know we have a great and glorious future hope in him. That's the way it should be. But it's not for so many Christians. No, because faith today, sadly, is still so often seen, seen to be all about health and wealth and happiness. Now, I want to say to you, I've, I've known people, friends, to be healed physically. And there have been times in my life when I've had real serious needs. And though my faith has been faint and flickering, God has met my needs wonderfully and even miraculously. And that's great. But you see, when if we don't have these things happen, we then see our faith as a failure. Even see God as a failure. When we fail to see the far greater importance of the spiritual, when we cannot maybe even begin to comprehend that through our suffering, God might be doing something in us and revealing something of his glory, through us. Yes, and when, because of the way we understand the faith, the importance we give to present blessing makes the thought of future hope almost meaningless. That doesn't matter because God's not doing it right now. When that's the case, 
then we have problems in our understanding and because of that in our experience of the faith. For our future hope, our inheritance, the prospect of heaven is supposed to be a light in our darkness. It's supposed to be the hand of God that supports his stumbling child. And certainly, it was that way for Peter and also for Paul. Because listen to his words in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. He says, despite all that was going on, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Well, the other hand of God that reaches down to us in our suffering, don't worry, this is only take a few minutes, is as well as our future hope, also our present relationship with Jesus. Verse 8 and 9 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Well, what's been talked of here, I believe, and, and this is made clear by the, by the words and the different tenses that, that are used What's, what this is speaking of is a continual, ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ, day by day, growing relationship that leads us almost to grow into him and so to re rest and remain in him. And that then because of that brings into our lives inexpressible and glorious joy. And basically what's be being talked of there because glory is, is a word in the Bible that's associated with the character of God, is, is a joy from being in the presence of God, even in our suffering. That is, in a sense, the joy of heaven before heaven. A taste of heaven enjoyed now, even in our suffering, because of the fellowship that we know with our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the hand of God, the other hand of God that's supposed to hold us steady in our suffering. That reality, that life, that joy that comes from our present relationship with Jesus that's there to be held on to. Wherever we are, whatever's going on in our life, whatever we're going through and experiencing in life today. But you know, as I say that, I wonder, is this maybe again where we find part of the answer as to why we so value the physical, the material, and why we have such a, a low view of faith, as to why our, our hope and our inheritance in heaven means so little to us? Is it maybe? Could it be because we don't really have this glorious and inexpressible joy right now. Is that it? Is it because 
our relationship with Jesus now isn't what it should be. That's so we don't value the spiritual and look forward to heaven. We don't do it because heaven hasn't broken into our experience now in the way that the New Testament says that it should. If that's the case, and I believe it may well be for a number of us, and I include myself in that number, then there's no shortcut. There's no shortcut, no easy answer. There's only one way to deal with that. And that's to reach out to Jesus. To seek Jesus. Through his word, through prayer, on your own, with other Christians, wherever you can, whenever you can, to seek him until this joy of Jesus, that sense of the glory of Jesus Christ, fills your heart. You see, God reaches out with his hands to us, do we need to reach out by faith to him? Do we need to reach out and take hold of the hands of God that are ready in our suffering, in our need, to hold us, to lift us, to keep us? Let's come and pray together. Father, we want to thank you for your word today. We want to thank you for the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. We want to thank you for the way that, that knowing Jesus and knowing that all that is to come for us in him, for the way that this is able to carry us and to hold us through every experience in our lives. Father, we pray, help us to turn to you. Help us to trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name.